we need to have something to counter the social media effect. We need to have some way of conveying sincerity about what reality is and what normal expectations are. And quitting your job because you, because you have an expertise is insufficient. Welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the ball crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Since I started this podcast almost six years ago, it's always been my intention to do exactly what I say in that intro piece, which I've spoken so many times. But alas, we live in a world dominated by social media, and the truth is that most of the coaches you are probably following on social media are presenting a photoshopped image of their lives and of this profession. Today, I'm delighted to be talking with someone who was also a champion of peeling back the bull crap, my phrase, and getting real about what it takes to build a sustainable business. One of his passions is traveling internationally and playing polo, and he has built up extensive business expertise around that lifestyle. He has a business background in spas, gyms, construction, consultancy, some real estate, and um, His business has now evolved more into a teaching and coaching role. And he caught my eye with his forthright views about this profession, as well as his dedication to doing the work. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while, actually, since he first uh, contacted me. So a very warm welcome to the Coaching Life podcast, Todd Randall. Hello. Thank you, Phil. That was a very nice introduction. Can I just clarify something? Does this mean yes. we won't be airbrushing my face? Oh, there's there's no airbrushing. I, do you know what? I don't even know if I have that Zoom setting on. But um, Oh, dear. Whatever. Right. <laughs> We're just going to go for it, then. We are just going to go for it. So yeah. I'd like to start where I always do start, just to give the listeners, you know, a, a five, ten minute um, intro to who they're listening to. What I'm really interested in is whatever is relevant in that backstory. Um, I know you've got extensive business experience before you move into coaching. I'm really interested in that. And when you came across coaching, be it either as a coach or indeed as a client. Yeah, fair question. Um, I And I think this will segue into some, so much of our story because yeah. I wanted to be an entrepreneur young. I tried a bunch of stuff, you know, Buying antiques and trying to flip them on this on the corner, or um, so a little bit of network marketing or door-to-door sales, you know, businesses that I could that I could treat like they were my own, mm-hmm. and I didn't find anything that really stuck with me at the time, and so I went to school assuming that I would you know get into get into business instead um, through the regular kind of professional educated channels, um, and then come back and start my own business someday. Um, now, fast forward 20 years, right? <laughs> Here I am. Someday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I I just never felt confident enough to leave and do it on my own. And part of it was probably a good dose of humility that's that's valuable and healthy, right? And part of it was, in, you know, and it's um, a lack of confidence that was holding me back from the goals um, that I'd set out for myself. So by the time I was 40, I had graduated with a professional degree. I had worked as a, you know, as a clinician for a couple years. I'd gone to corporate and I'd work in massive companies under great tutelage, like fantastic mentors. 
And um, I know you've worked in environments like that where you're surrounded by people as smart and smarter than you at all times. And it sharpens your blade in so many ways. And I think one of the things that was holding me back is I would look around the room and I'm like, so many people are better at this than I am. How could I count myself sufficient to go and run a business? I want to be as good as Ashley is or as good as Pam is before I go and do that. And so I lack the confidence. And so one of the ways, this is a time-honored tradition. I hope we get a good laugh out of this. One of the ways that I got the confidence is I went and I paid a lot for an MBA. Um, now, I learned lots of cool information there, but I did not need an MBA <laughs> to start a business, nor, does, nor do most people, right? Um, but what it did is it did, it finally put me in a room with a bunch of other people who were as unsettled as I was. And I judged myself against them in a relative way and said, look, if all of these people are struggling with the same issue, most of them I would feel comfortable supporting in their own business, why can't I support myself? And so I eventually just took the leap and started a boring business. I didn't, I wasn't an inventor. I wasn't an innovator. I didn't take a division that was being dismissed and fund it. Um, I didn't have any sexy idea. So I had kind of a midlife crisis um, and started looking for businesses to build that were not, not, I keep using the expression, not sexy, you know. Um, but they weren't Facebook or WhatsApp or the Rubik's Cube. They were just yeah. a business on the corner. And I had resolved myself that that's what I wanted to do and went and just found one, any anyone, and started with that. Specifically, are you able to share what, what that was? Just how yeah, sure, of course. ordinary now, that first, was? <laughs> I come from healthcare. So I worked in healthcare companies my whole adult life, uh, technology and healthcare, but still healthcare. And so I looked, when I came home, I was on a trip to Europe um, for a $300 billion company. And I was in the spotlight all the time in the height of my job satisfaction. Um, and that was right before the financial bust of 2007, 2008. And they said, okay, this is great. You're doing a good work, Todd, come home. And um, I was sad. So, so I... So I took a month off and I stayed in Paris and did everything that I possibly wanted. You know, I sat up front at the opera and I took friends golfing and I studied language and I ate, you know, gastronomic masterpieces. <laughs> and at the end of the month, I looked at my bill and it was small. And I thought, holy cow, I can have this much fun, have a blissful existence. Um, and maybe I don't need a huge salary, you know. To, to to be that happy and that was the that was my revelation and so when I came home I started looking at hundreds of businesses I went and talked to friends who had gyms and spas and laundromats and construction companies and what have you in the end what I chose is I chose a spa concept because it felt like healthcare and it was familiar enough to me I knew that I'd be learning lots so I'd pick something that I thought would be similar ish um, and that would reduce the number of things I had to, to learn. So I had, um, the first thing I opened was essentially a massage spa mm -hmm. in San Diego, California. We'll jump around a fair bit, I'm sure, during oh, our please, conversation. Yeah. I have already, jeez. <laughs> um, I'm curious, just reflecting back on that, is there something like in you you notice like that that was drawing you towards that, that is still in you and still inspires you, drives you today? Um, from a vertical perspective, I would say probably not. It was more, I was really trying to exercise my business skills at the time. 
I had pursued things that were fun for me. I had pursued products that were fun for me. I worked on teams where I liked the people. At this point, I wanted to prove that I could run my own business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't need to make a bazillion dollars a year to be happy. That's the revelation that I had in Paris. So I picked a, a small business that I thought had a, what did I call it? High confidence, moderate return. Mm -hmm. So I was already getting quite businessy, right? Because I had helped large companies offload divisions or make acquisitions, et cetera. And this is the way they thought about things. If this is a high risk scenario, then it demands a high risk return. If this is a low risk scenario, then you know we can be tolerant of a lower risk return. And I was looking for something with high confidence because I was deathly afraid of failing. And I was willing to return to sacrifice you know, uh, return on it. And so yeah. this, the concept I went with was a franchise concept. So I paid somebody else to use their brand and I followed their standards of procedure. Um, but I, you know, built it and funded it and hired the staff and ran it and operated it myself. Um, and that for me was the training wheels that I needed. And yes, I'm a coward. I get it. You know, I could have, I could have started my own business 15 years before without a brand. Um, you know, and without a franchise, but I didn't. This was my way of getting there because I just needed to be, I needed to be ready. And I think there are lots of folks who want to be entrepreneurs that need to give themselves permission that what's late? Like, so what that you're 75? Think about, think seriously, think about how many people are 75 or 80 years old and they have a great idea oh. and they've got 50 or 60 years of business experience yes. to yeah. map against the problem. And they think to themselves, well, I'm not an entrepreneur because <laughs> entrepreneurs are 20. That's BS. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. And and just I want to comment on what you said there about, you know, being a coward and like gosh. Coward or or prudent? I mean, um <laughs> yeah. I, I kind yeah. of jumped off the cliff when I started coaching. I I my last job in corporate, my last day as uh I was I was employed as freelance consultant in various leadership mm -hmm. roles. So I was running okay. through my own company as a, as a consultant. But my last corporate day was f um, 15th of April, 2011. And I, you know, I just jumped off the cliff and I had no idea really about yeah. running a coaching business and faffed around for the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when I talk to other coaches now who are, who have the, you know, the financial security of a regular paycheck each month. And they're suggesting, mm -hmm. right, I want to quit my job and, and, and then start a coaching business. Like, what? Oh my gosh. You yeah. know, so, so, um, I don't know that, uh, brave bravery, um, is, is perhaps a, a fine line between bravery and naivety. I think I was certainly yeah. naive. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's cool really to perhaps to be, to be prudent. Um, and I love, I love that what you've said about, um, high confidence and, uh, you know, medium return, I think or moderate return. We'll come back to that. I'm sure. Yeah. But it did work out in my favor in the end to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Right. Cause it seems like a long story to get there. Like I was not a very brave entrepreneur who took a bunch of risk, um, knowing full well that he could fail. That wasn't my story at all. Um, I really only jumped when I was pretty darn sure. And mm. then I also chose a concept that gave me training wheels. Now here's where it runs into trouble, right? Is a year afterwards, here I am running my own business. I'm CEO now, right? Mr. Big Shot. And I'm working as many hours and I have as many anxieties as I did when I was working for corporate. Right. And that's, that's what broke me. I really knew something was wrong at that point. And I wasn't at, at that point, I had made the transition, so kudos to me, but I hadn't become a successful business person yet in my mind. I needed to, to take the next leap, which is, all right, what were you hoping for when you left? Because it's not this.
Yeah, can we expand on that a little bit? Because I'm I'm I'm, oh, sure. I'm sensing that perhaps there's an ease into your experience of coaching in in that yeah. piece. But um, yeah, can there we expand is. on that? This is my magic. This is my secret sauce, actually, because I had to learn the lessons so difficult in such a difficult manner. Right, the best lessons are the ones that you bloody your nose, you know, yeah. learning. Yeah. So I, I was running this business and having a real tough time with it because I still, I didn't have time for the social or the health things that I was hoping for when I started my own business. Um, isn't having your own business great? You can work in your pajamas on the beach, right? Mm. Um, and I wasn't at the beach and I wasn't wearing pajamas. <laughs> so I realized that it was going to drive me crazy unless I, I made some changes. And so there was something that I'd always wanted to do and didn't make time for, and that was riding horses. I had some friends who played polo. It seemed sexy and royal and fantastic to me. Um, and so I went and learned it and decided, okay, I'm going to make it more about the horses than business. And that's a big change. Wow. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that means on Thursdays, I'm not in the office because Thursdays are riding days and competing days um, and, vice, and, and more and more and more. So I traveled for it. I invested a lot of money into it. I took a lot of chances on becoming good at horsemanship, et cetera. And the business took second seat. And I was committed to not, not letting it destroy the business. But I just knew that, that I needed both. I needed both. I couldn't do just the business because it wasn't satisfying enough. Um, and my staff were getting frustrated with me because I thought at the time that there were, you know, hundreds of decisions that only I could make as the owner. I'm the only guy qualified. Like who else can make the decision except the owner? And what I was losing in that is um, key staff, key customers, um, late penalties from decisions that were unmade. And my staff would come to me and they say, Todd, this is this is ridiculous. Like we appreciate that you're not more knowledgeable at this stuff than we are. But if you don't let us make some decisions, like we're going to lose opportunities just because timing, just because of the delay. Um, and so together we worked out um, a way of delegating thoroughly, um, which to this day is the, is the one thing that contributes most to my financial liberty and financial success. And we had we created this little five step plan that was amazing, um, and it allowed them to feel empowered to make decisions without second guessing themselves and knowing that it was in alignment with what I wanted. And once we did that, I went right down the street and opened up a second spa, and then immediately opened up a gym, and then a second gym, and then people started coming to me and saying, "Wow, you scaled really quickly. How did you do that?" And that's when I started consulting. Right, Maybe. and yeah, it's because yeah. it's. It's because I had the courage at that point. So this is, I'll give myself a little courage point here. I had the courage to let go. There are some decisions that I didn't need to make. Um, and those decisions were made by people with a little less experience than me or who had a little less judgment about what I wanted because who knows better than yourself, right? However, the decisions were being made. And it allowed me to come back and audit and refine their choices and their decisions, like like um, artificial intelligence, that's the whole point of it, right? Is if you let the computer make decisions and then grade it and monitor it on, on the strength of those decisions, then it knows how to make better decisions next time. And if you replicate that 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 loop over and over and over again, in a computer's world, they can replicate that loop a billion times in 24 hours. And you can become very, very smart just for making the same decisions and then refining your, your attitude, right? So that's what we did. And at one point, um, I had six or seven businesses running at the same time. And that manager that was working for me at the time, she was running four of them all by herself. She was a general manager for a $4 million business with 120 staff. And, you know, as a 30-year-old, she was super proud of herself for accomplishing that. And she should be. 
right? Well, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to comment, really. There's, I, I'm sensing there's an aspect of human behavior there, which I find incredibly fascinating. I'm always fascinated yeah. with like seemingly uh, paradoxes, if you like, and contradictions, <laughs> because I, I notice yeah. in there, because I, I, I've certainly felt this, that, oh, I'm not good enough, slash, oh, I, I can't let go and, and leave this to other people to do. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. hang on a second. And, 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 and for me, certainly in my business, like I can, I can relate having, you know, I was in um, corporate for well over 20 years in like some, some kind of dizzy heights, if you like, um, mm-hmm. having, you know, heading up departments of 400 people, an incredible amount of responsibility. And yet I noticed in when it became, when it, when it came to running my own business, I would make that more about me than mm. was helpful. You know, it's like the, the the personal emotions came into play much more than they did when I was um, essentially mm. working in someone else's business. Yeah, pride and vanity have start to play a part, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and self obsession is what mm. I would summarize. I, I would suggest. Oh, I, I would suggest that yeah. the number one reason coaches don't have sustainable businesses is self-obsession it's an mm. obsession with that with the self that's really what holds most people back yeah well boy we can dig into that can't we because yeah. i th- yeah. yeah the thing that um that i would find most missing in coaching today is skill and delivery mm. and i think that dovetails into what you're, you're yeah. speaking there lots of folks yeah. enjoy the sales part and being a celebrity but when it comes time to helping other people um you know that's a, that's a a skill that has been un, unrefined in some cases so when when did coaching become a thing? Was it really has yep. it evolved from from that consulting and answering? Right from that consulting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I took a handful of consulting projects in 2015 and 16 um, that really came down to um, helping one executive suffer a transition of sorts, either acquiring a big company and taking on a lot more responsibility than they used to, or um, uh, you know, being part of a team that was sold to another company or transitioned into the hands of an, a, another ownership. And um, I was hired to help with the transition, to come in and kind of objectively assess teams and systems, et cetera, report it to the buying party, um, and then create systems that allow for a smooth transition. But inevitably, there was one key player in each of those projects who I had an existing relationship after the project. And those were my first uh, coaching clients. And I found it enormously successful, um, or um, satisfying, sorry. I hope they found it successful, but I found it very satisfying <laughs> because I'd been through that process a couple times and it was their first time and it w- they were desperate for lack of information. There's an, a, a matter of informational asymmetry in those transactions that can be quite unnerving, as you may know, right? Mm-hmm. Because as, a, as an acquirer or as a seller, um, it's so difficult to be fully transparent with all the staff. It's not in their best interest, actually, because you don't have enough information. All you're doing is panicking people kind of needlessly, right? Um, and it you know, it really helped to have, um, to have that experience a few times and walk people through the promise and just the process and just you know, keep them from jumping off the ledge, more or less. And those um, engagements were successful enough that I allowed myself to use the word coaching, which I was allergic to before 2015. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. That's a great dovetail um, into a discussion I'd like to have with you really around how you describe perhaps the state of the profession. Because here we are, that, that my, as I say, my objective for this podcast, and I get lots of feedback about it, is that it's of service to 
aspiring and even established coaches mm-hmm. um, because there is it looks to me like there's just so much I, you could even call it disinformation out there regarding yeah. this profession so kind of in summary if you're just like taking a look at what do you see of the coaching mm. profession yeah i had i had an interesting take because i took a lot of it in in 15 16 17 but i was still getting most of my clients in real life conferences and universities where i was on a panel somewhere that kind of thing or friends in the industry and then um, i bought a business uh, two years ago and the deal went sideways like i got in there and the business was not as described and so it was an emergency so i dropped every all my clients and went in there and fixed everything and then when i came back i thought okay well everyone's generating leads online nowadays for new clients so i'll establish an online presence and this was only about two years ago and so it was this flash of relative difference between the way i used to get clients and the way i get clients now and the way people are portraying them it used to be people would have a business card and portray an expertise i'm really good at these three things i can help you the word help front and center with these three things right and then when i in uh two years ago when i said oh great i'll create a social media profile all the other coaches were um uh, kind of going the the instagram influencer path where they wanted to convey a certain amount of success or freedom and not talking about the service so much. Mm-hmm. And so that was quite a shock for me. And I think I've, I've narrowed it down to a few philosophies. One is that the industry, I think, has been bifurcated in a way where it's full of people that rushed here because of the demand. And um, the people that rushed in are people who are good at sales, right? because that's what salespeople do. They're always looking for environments that closing is likely, and that's what a good salesperson does, no judgment at all. So they rushed in looking for sales, and they got lots of sales. And then because of their inability to deliver, um, they found it to be unsatisfying. Their customers were unhappy with the results. They weren't getting good referrals. They couldn't build a business organically, like, gentle, you were amazing. Can I sign up with you today? They weren't getting clients like that, right? And so it kind of built on itself where the salespeople had to get salesier and salesier. And suddenly everyone's Grant Cardone, right? Where everyone's parking next to a jet and everyone's standing in front of a Lamborghini, uh, you know, or other sports car. Um, And like I said, I can't blame them because that was what was working at the time. But um, those folks, when I I find someone like that and they really have... um, a genuine interest to build a sustaining business practice, I have to be pretty real with them. Um, and I always tell them, you know, if after two weeks, if you're not liking the advice, I promise we can shake hands and part ways and you can find another coach. But I need to be pretty direct with you early on in order to get results. And what I tell them essentially is, is that you can build a real business, but you need to learn to deliver. These are skills you need to bring to the table or you'll never be a sustainer. So that's one side of the equation. They come from insurance or real estate or whatever sales environment allowed them to succeed in the past. On the other side of the spectrum, I think there are a lot of folks in here because they have some talent or skill that they can't wait for the world to benefit from, right? And if I was to cartoonize these folks, I would call them the overgivers, right? And they come here because they want to serve, which is all fine and great as long as you're as you're running it like a business, right? Because some of these folks quit their job thinking I'll help people train their dogs online or I'll help people lose, lose weight online or I'll help people... Um, um, you know, get the most of their special needs uh, children and, and th- that relationship online. Um, and they give, 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 and they're not building it like a business. And so after three to six months, they become frustrated and they quit. 
um, because they're just not making the income they want. So you've got two parties here that have a very high incidence rate of, of, of leaving the industry at about three to six months. The sales folks are coming in and realizing it's not as easy as they thought, and so they move on to crypto or NFTs or whatever the next thing is, right? Yeah. Um, and you've got the folks coming in who are really wanting to give people spiritual guidance or they're really wanting to help people with fitness or nutritional goals, and they realize, oh, gosh, there's competition. So in order for me to win clients, which is what I'm really here for, I need to give my services away for free, and they don't build a business. And so for those, maybe slightly more fun to work with because you've got you know sincerity to begin with to start. Yeah, yeah. But those folks, there are just a series of skills and fundamental talents that you can help them practice and refine and fail and refine again, and they can build a sustainable business. So I believe in the middle that those two groups can meet. But that's what I was finding overall is that the industry is full of kind of those two archetypes. Does yeah. that resonate with yeah. you at all? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and definitely my I, even personally, but certainly the, the few coaches that I do work with fall into the latter actually, and it becomes very clear to me and of course I'm free to, to judge and filter out whoever I work with and, yeah. I, and, I, and in a way I've, I've become much less tolerant in that regard it's like okay yeah. I'm honoring I'm really honoring how what I see um, is those people when I speak to them their focus is generally on the other is on the client, prospect yeah. is on the client rather yeah. than you know how much money or my lifestyle and yet it is a combination of all of that we have to look at that holistically right as you said you had that that realization in paris that well what is the actual what's the life look like that you want to create and yeah. then um, ensuring that whatever you're up to is in alignment and is honoring that life that you want to create so what I'm getting here is that you, it's not healthy or helpful to try and separate that. But certainly I, I do feel, I mean, as I said in one of our previous conversations, I've been a little bit, disheart, bit disheartened actually by how I'm seeing the profession. I take responsibility for that because of what it is that I'm seeing because it's very difficult to come across folks who are really experienced, really good at what they're doing and just getting on with it because those guys tend not to be you know posting on social media day after day about how, how right. brilliant their life is they're just getting on and that's why really my the number of guests i've had in this podcast has kind of tailed off over the last couple of years and and, and of course my my focus has changed a bit as well in that I'm, i've become one of those where i am just just getting on with with serving people so I think there's an important point in there in that if you're focus is on being of service it sounds so cliche but if you if your primary focus is how can i be of service then i i, I just think that's the that's really the only path to success and the answer to that question how can i be of service can also include well how can i be of service in ways that i connect to my prospects yeah yeah it's it's the most likely way of of achieving success but sadly um, I'll, I'll take um, I'll take a devil's advocate side here mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, positive reinforcement is actually not the um, the most effective way to train a smart being, animals or otherwise. They've done lots of studies with dogs and and dolphins, very intelligent species, where they find that intermittent reinforcement is actually um, slightly more addictive to training good behavior. And I think that we're working with an industry that from time to time people do succeed in creating such a persona, such an online charisma that people will sign on with them 
over and over and over again in hopes of being more like them. And so there are some people that do succeed. Um, it's just so unlikely that you and I would grab one of those as a client, right? Because it's so unlikely to find them in the natural, in the natural world. Um, it does happen. It happens so infrequently that none of us really run into those people very often. But as a prospect, someone who's online is like, boy, I'd really like to be successful. I'm tired of my dead end job. Why can't I just be rich on, you know, by working 10 hours a week, sending direct messages? Hey, here's a guy that does exactly that. Why don't I just be like him? Yeah. Or appears to be like that. (laughs) And it's hard to fault him, but there are two issues with that, right? One is it's actually pretty good odds that that person who says that they're a millionaire by working 10 hours a week, um, that that doesn't pan out quite the way they describe it, or they're using some kind of syntax gibberish in the part, right? Like, here's one that always gets me. Uh, $10,000 a month in 90 days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's $10,000 a month mean? Could mean lots of stuff. Is it is it 10, you know, 10K a month temporarily, and then you don't right. have a long business set up right. um, to do that every month? Is it 10K with grinding 80 hours a week to get every client? Because you can do that for six months. You can't do it for six years. It's impossible. Everyone burns out. Right. By the way, is it 10K revenue? <laughs> or is it 10, right? Is it 10K paid? Or is it 10K um, accounts receivable? Do people say they're going to give you 10 and they quit after a month because they're dissatisfied with the service? So that's just one example of where people are using a, a number, any number, mm-hmm. that doesn't convey a, a sincere, true message. All right. It certainly conveys a message. It's just, you know, translated in so many ways that it's not conveying a clear sincere message to the public and again it's it's i've seen something recently from one of my facebook friends it's a, a, a comment recently and he might even be listening to this it doesn't matter yeah. it was like um oh thank you so much to my coach xyz who i didn't think it was possible to 6x my business I think, yeah what does a without any numbers or content what does that mean like okay so yeah what if you did 2k one year and then uh-huh. you did like 12K the net. Like, I mean, come on. It's, it's yeah, just Which so is neat. not enough to sustain yourself in most countries. So right. it doesn't say anything. And I'm not sure who's at fault or if it matters, right? Like we could be judgmental and say in, in our ethic and value sphere, that's um, an insincere way of communicating. We could say that, right? But I'm not. The medium which we're all using, which is social media, is not really built for transparency and, and trust. Right, right. Yeah. Right? I didn't invent it, so I'm not taking this personally. And you didn't invent it. <laughs> have to defend it but social media is built as a tool to show to something you aspire to like i lived in los angeles for uh, four or five years and i had friends that were instagram models there and they were because i was in the gym industry at the time and they were crazy fit and good looking um and even then crazy fit and good looking they don't take pictures every day Mm. right Mm. they wait until they have a good arm burn and you know three after three days of caffeine pills and then they take a picture of their biceps. And because they only pe- um, post those pictures, if you're in whatever, Wales, you know, and you're looking at pictures of this person, um, every day you see a picture of them in their 1% most fittest yeah. Yeah. position. And so social media, you see 30 pictures a month of this person, you figure the average level of fitness for this person is any one of those photos. But it's not true. That's not what social media is designed for. It's designed to post, you know, your ultimate 1% of a dress that you look good in or a day after a good arm burn. And so I think there is a way for coaches to take that in 
right? Set your expectations in, in a box that's fair, right? And use social media with good ethics and values and still communicate your message in a way that people know what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, so important. So important. Thank you for that. I, I, I also notice... Um, done no scientific research about this and i want to you know move on as you, as you said at the end there really we, I, in our previous conversation we said our intention here is is to attempt at least to be positive here and to yeah, offer something yeah. of value that definitely is my intention and i'm also noticing how easy it is to get drawn into um, what we might deem perhaps the negative or unsavory aspects but i, I do want to bring those out and just say like this it's clearly not um, not what it seems. And when I'm in private conversation with people, I have a whole bunch of stories about, you know, yeah. some of my own mentors and whatever things that have come to light. Like, well, this has been my real experience, for example, of that person or of that school or of that training. Mm-hmm. Things that, um, you know, don't get shared publicly for various fears right. of litigation or, or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of those, I think I mentioned, I saw you i hope i haven't got this incorrect but um about coaching schools and coaching training overall like there are there are every week it looks like on my social media feed there's a a yet another coaching training school that's popped up from somebody who's coaching focusing on coaching other coaches and i've done no scientific research about this but from just my own finger in the air feeling from the number of um coaching colleagues that i speak to i'm i'm guessing that really only maybe five to 10% of people coming through, you know, some of the bigger coaching schools, I won't name, but five to 10% end up creating a sustainable coaching business. So what do you think, why that is and what's, what's yeah, missing I'd be surprised there? if it was 10% personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, I think that number is uh, pretty high. I, I, if it was, if it was three or four, I think I'd be, that seems more in line. And that looks nuts to me. Like I know my personal clients. If I if I reflect in a similar way on my own personal clients, I say probably half. Right, I'm just being really open here. Probably half of my clients get really what they what they came for, even though they may not have known it. But it's like, yeah. um, and I would love to say, oh yeah, every single client, it's an amazing success story. But that's just not how real life works, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, come yeah. back to my question really about um, yeah, yeah, what's your what's your take on that? I find that, um, like, I went and got a fancy MBA because I lacked the confidence to start my own business. Um, and I tell my clients all the time, they come to me and they're like, Todd, I really want help um, starting this and that. But I'm almost done with my certificate program, and so I can't start until I'm done with that. And I applaud them for wanting fundamentals from which to start from, skills to use for the service of their client. Um but I don't know any successful coach. I can't think of any of my clients who were successfully running a business day to day coaching, who went and got a certi- certification first. I can't think of one. So it's hard for me to recommend to somebody to go get a, cert- a certificate program. It may help you in in the end, and you may be one of those successful. But if I made a list of the top five things that you need to become a good coach, for for me, that's not on the list. Is it for you? Mm. No. They're absolutely not. No, yeah. <laughs> nowhere near. I mean, it yeah. could be a subcomponent of the things on the list because, yes, yeah. certainly training, working on yourself, and becoming more aware of the business yeah. aspect and the service yeah. aspect of coaching. Yes, but it's yeah. And maybe it works into mindset, right? There's some people that are ready to run their own business, and they already have the confidence to know I'm going to run into problems, and I'm going to have to I'm going to have to troubleshoot. And there are some folks that just need a structure when they get there, right? Because they haven't done it before. 
Um, I see that a lot in experts. You know, I'm a laboratory physicist and um, the CE programs are terrible for this stuff. And so I started coaching people one on one so they could pass their boards. And um, that turned into a business. And I'm like, great, stop for a second. Do you have a certification? You know, did you go to school to be a coach? No, I'd never say that. It's like you have a skill. Let's practice it. Just do that. Mm -hmm. Those are the folks that end up being, I think, successful in our business. One thing I just want to bring in here as well is yeah. that uh, I think the coaching schools that I'm thinking of specifically are kind of like nine months, maybe 12 months. Yeah. And I think in my experience, people go through them then with an expectation like, that's it. Okay, I've gone through it. I am now transformational coach, whatever. And yet... I don't know of any other profession that where there's an expectation where you could do a single school, 12 months, maybe even if it's two hours a week or perhaps eight hours a week with the, with the homework, um, and then enter into the realms of similar kind of income to lawyers, medical doctors, and what have you, right? But there's, so there's, there is such a It would be a lot to ask, wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There are people with a gift, right, who were meant to be a transformational life coach um, before they started. And a program is just one way for them to plant the seed. Um, I think that's a small percentage, but for those folks, I would support it 100%. Great. Super. Explore your dream. Um, but like most entrepreneurs, um, I saw this in the colleges all the time. People would come to me. I was sat on this panel where we evaluated um, like entrepreneur school business ideas. And uh, they'd write these intricate business plans and they'd get business cards made and they'd have a hierarchy about who's CEO and who's vice president. And they'd have a board of directors and I'd say, wow, this is a really neat idea. How many of those have you sold? Oh, well, um, you know, I, uh, you know, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. a fundamental problem of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. that we are not teaching people. And you're, you're in the spirit of service. So I know that this pains you when you see it happen elsewhere because you just don't like you know, the failure rate that comes as a result of not knowing the very fundamentals. But if you ever watch Shark Tank, Mark Cuban is beside himself when he meets an entrepreneur that's gone out and sold something before he can deliver it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Beside himself. Because it proves that they believe it. It proves that there's an audience and that all they need is money. And he's an investor. Right? So I, I made this belt that's only Velcro. It doesn't have any holes in it so that people, when they gain weight and lose weight... They don't need to buy a new belt. Great. Do people want it? I don't know. I sold 17 on the way here. Awesome. Here's your money. <laughs> and, and really, so just like to close the loop on, on what I mentioned previously about like I jumped off the cliff out of my corporate corporate yeah. um, career. Like I would, I would suggest that people considering leaving a job to take up a career in coaching to do that once yeah. – that they have so many people offering to pay for their coaching that it becomes impossible to do both. I totally agree, 100%. It's way harder. This is, this is the fact of the matter. I know that this is part of what, what we agreed to try to thread out, right, is the industry, there are very, very few coaches that are making a sustainable living by doing what they love. Um, and I think that that is a, it's a message that is being conveyed not insincerely, but it's being conveyed in a way that is digested universally. Like yeah. when you look at social media because of the way it's designed, it looks like lots of people are actually quite successful at coaching. And that's not my experience at all. Many of my clients come to me who coach other coaches and they haven't made, you know, they haven't made a profit before in their years. And they're like, look, I'm a little tired of living 
not, not a lie, but I'm conveying a level of success that I haven't yet reached. And in, in good conscience, I'm, I'm struggling with how to convey, you know, my knowledge to, to clients. And it happens quite frequently. Yeah. And so then yeah. now the problem is how do we fix that? And I mm -hmm. think that we need to have something to counter the social media effect. We need to have some way of conveying sincerity about what reality is and what normal expectations are. And quitting your job because you because you have an expertise is insufficient. There has to be more. Don't do what I did. Don't wait 20 years and get an MBA and build a spreadsheet and get investors. Go at some point, right? But proof of concept at least, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you do you have a client? I, I'm I'm constantly concerned. Often I'm often concerned. Um, when we have initial calls and onboarding calls, et cetera, where people said, I've had five clients before. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Have any of them paid? Well, no, not yet. I'm like, okay, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning because you haven't really validated that what you're offering is valuable yet. Oh, but my friend said they loved it. I'm like, great. Go back to them, ask them for a second course for $10. And you'll be surprised. Some of them won't pay 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a you have to find a floor like where's your value it could be that you're very valuable but if you don't have proof yet it's really difficult to take the next steps in the process and so my recommendation is always if you get five paying clients at any at any uh, dollar amount like that's when you consider raising rates here's here's something else um, about the industry that I think we get a little ahead of ourselves is there's a lot of mindset um, messaging out there about maximizing what your worth is worth is and i think that's detrimental to the profession that's one thing i'm really concerned about because people are saying you know you have to raise your rates get fewer clients get what you're worth as a coach and i'm super concerned about that because i think people haven't proven their value yet to themselves they haven't validated what their what their value is to the client um and they're not filling their schedule they get one client at $100 and they think, okay, great, I'll try 150 next time and then 200 and then 250 um, And I think that sets for some disappointed coaches down the line. Yeah, for sure. And yet, just coming back to that piece that I mentioned about self-obsession, because yeah. um, coaches I've spoken to really, they, they allow themselves to be directed by their own opinion of themselves mm -hmm. which can vary from you know like, like mm -hmm. I touched on earlier oh I, I, I can't let anybody else do this or I'm not good enough whereas yeah. what matters here what's the bottom line is are people willing to pay for the impact and the value you're providing so you can go out there and yeah. test go out there and test provide a service and the the test results are really is somebody willing to pay for that yeah so what matters is what the client thinks of you and your relationship and what comes out of your time together so how do you build that because i feel like we've 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 brought up a couple great ideas for concerns we have about the industry that need to be resolved right mm -hmm. so can, can we is it worth trying to brainstorm and have some tips to help resolve that i don't want this to to be neutral or negative i'd like it to end up really positive like how how do you um, help people achieve that validation process where they know, okay, this can work. Do you have a number in mind or a type of client or a number of hours a week or what's your threshold? It's a great, great question. And, and like my first thought is, oh my gosh, Todd, I feel like I just wing it, but, but I do. Okay. At times, sometimes I do very well. And, um, Yes, I have to like reflect. What it what what is it that goes on? I realize that I have very little thinking about my own abilities. 
and even whilst i i have a, a range of the the kind of fees that mm -hmm. that i ask for mm -hmm. uh, but then no, nothing there is kind of fixed in that um i work i mean currently i'm working with somebody who's, who's a very senior in one of the largest corporations in the world and um when we look at that from an hourly rate it's i notice that i'm like oh you know, I gulp um, yeah. before sessions, you know, and yet yep. very clearly that's that feels the right rate for them. It's our company that are paying. Um, so, yeah, maybe that maybe that's the bit it, for me. It's what, you've, what you've so feels right, what you know? feels right for for the client. Yeah. And do we do we meet there? But your instinct is is uh, refined. It's been tuned for a number of years, six or eight years or 10 or more. Gosh, right? So, um, so that makes sense for you. But you have clients, you know, presumably who don't, right? They're trying to fix something and they're trying to accomplish something and specific with their business. How do you help them achieve, you know, validate proof of concept? If someone has a startup and they've created the, a great new widget, do you have a structure or advice for them on when to pour a bunch of money into engineering? I guess I'm not really working with those kind of clients, but no, okay. if we come back to the coaching profession, it's really around making it less about me. I have, I do have thresholds. Like this is, this is it. Like this is a minimum and yeah. client recently that was one of my lower fees and we actually ended up only doing three months together, but I, I, I felt like, well, we're not done yet, but she wasn't in a position to to continue. So, but so we carried on um, pro bono for a little mm. while, and 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 nice. then you know they got some momentum going. She got some momentum going. Um, so I know that I'm flexible, but for me the focus is very much on. I, I'm always going to be influenced by my own views, right? By my yeah. own filters, but I notice that I'm much more willing to experiment take action and really be curious about the client and what's what's of service what's right what's fair for them so irrespective of whether yeah. i feel oh my gosh like this this client in this corporate oh my god i notice my thinking but that never really happens on the on the call because i'm there i'm present so i guess just coming back well how how have i got to be able to be that way it, it there's inner work right there's inner work to be done um, yeah. to change our relationship with our own very natural human insecurities and thinking and all of that stuff. There definitely is, there definitely is work there. Like I, I notice I'm probably one of the most opinionated, judgmental people you would ever meet, but my relationship <laughs> with those opinions and judgment is so loose that I laugh at myself all the yeah. time. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> good for you. That shows it's good self-awareness, right? To learn and grow and change your mind. So I think one thing we really agree on. So I love the fact that we've bounced all over the place a little bit. I think one thing that we're showing that we really agree on is that if there's one piece of advice we can give the industry, right, is to focus more on delivery. Like what is your service? Um, how are you helping your client? Value it by how much you think the client values it, not by how much you do. It's mm -hmm. not a mindset thing. This is a, a delivery, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... I, I wish the one thing I think I wish we could fix more is I'd like to build some some different expectations around that because I think the world 
sees the value that we can or should bring in a through a, a lens that's just you know um, broken. The lens the lens is not built for what you and I are trying to to bring, which is transparency and you know honesty to the to a, um, a profession with lots of variance, lots of variability. Yeah, and and I guess in some ways that all takes time. Again, it's all interrelated, isn't it? Like if I show up, yeah. hey, I want to be a coach. Like the the, I think I I might have used this example on a previous podcast episode where uh, a couple of years ago I went to see a guy. He played around with some stuff in my head, mm-hmm. and uh, before I went to see him, I was in quite a bit of pain. Mm-hmm. And literally that one session I had with him, he did his thing. It came away, and the pain was gone. Hmm. Now, I could have come out of that thinking, oh, my God, that's amazing. I've had that one experience. I'm going to make a career of this. But mm-hmm. I didn't do that, not least because the guy was a dentist. All right. Well, what, what I observe as well is that people will have this one experience and they think, mm-hmm. oh, OK, let me shack up now as a coach. Yeah. Right. So I guess my what I've tried to portray in all of this podcast is there's a long game here there's a long game which there's no substitute todd as you know there's no substitute for experience and there's no substitute for um lessons from failure like success is an extremely poor teacher so that's a great quote you should admit that one it's it's actually bill gates but we're not allowed to mention bill gates anymore are we i think it's bill gates who said that anyway (laughs) should i cut that out um don't want to polarize hey we're not saying anything polarizing um Mm -hmm. i think yeah that in that being willing to to for it to be a long game rather than to bypass the quick fix yeah those 10k in 10k months in 90 days all of that like to me that devalues the profession and and has a plethora of people calling themselves coaches that simply don't have the experience and expertise and i get that as i've said there's no substitute for experience and yet I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something in that, 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 okay, well, how long have you been coaching? How many clients have you had? Or, or... Yeah. It, the industry really does lend itself to people with more experience who are in it for the long haul, who are focused on value yeah, to the beautifully customer. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, and then how do we, you know, like I do coach a number of, of coaches, um, which I think is a difficult position to be in. Um, but there are some folks that I work with who really want to be the best dog trainer mm-hmm. in the world and they want to help people and, or help, you know, new moms with a special needs child, uh, deal with the transition and, um, learn the lessons that they did, uh, a little easier way. Um, and I think those are skills that deserve coaches, right? Um, and some of those folks want to build a program that they can sustain themselves because they feel like it's the thing they know they do the best. Right. This is what they're on the planet made to do. Um, and in those situations, you know, now it begs the question, how do I help them either get more experience, play a longer game or bring more value to the client? Um, we can impact two of those. I don't know how we impact the third. Mm-hmm. Right. Getting more experience is something you have to come to the table. If you don't come with some experience, uh, that's a fool's errand, in my opinion. I think that's a very tough You've got to you've got to That's get in the water, right? To get be, to get better at swimming, you've got to be in the water. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is why the transformation coach uh, game has been so difficult for people to succeed in. 
because there's some extremely compelling stories of people that have really transformed their life. And that story um, inspires other people to change their lives. Um, and then there are the tens of thousands of people who lost 10 pounds or, you know, uh, um, you know, survived a divorce, um, which are, can be quite traumatic for people. But what they're missing is that they're, you know, that story is 10 million fold or 100 million fold because lots of people have made that transformation and it's not such a, it's not such a learning curve. So in summary, Todd, what would be your message if somebody's listening to this and essentially what's holding them back is that opinion of themselves, like perhaps they're devaluing. I don't know if I'm familiar with the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram type nine, which is essentially or my, my primary personality is Enneagram type nine. And it, I, I've seen this. Okay. It's, it's one of those things where, oh, bring that into awareness. Then we can see where it's played out. And I could see for most of my okay. life, I would undervalue actually the impact that I have on other people's lives. Right. So and yes, I, I didn't realize until a coach pointed out to me a couple of years ago that, oh, OK, so those conversations in my leadership roles in corporate very much were coaching conversations. OK, I've been having coaching conversations with people for over 30 years. 1991, in my first leadership role, I have one on one conversation with people where we would bring whatever is going on in their lives onto the table and I would help them in whatever way I can. And I kind of dismissed mm -hmm. that. So. For sure, there are those people that are drawn to, you know, the 10K months in 90 days. But I wonder what is your message for the other group of people who there's a bit of them that knows they really can, they really do impact people. Spending time, just mm -hmm. simply spending time with them is impactful. What would your message be for those? Um, I think that there are a set of skills like you have something magical to bring clearly you have a benefit that you can't wait the world to to um, to value from um, there are a set of non-sexy quotidian skills and and you know trade craft that you can learn and put in practice that will allow you to do that in a way that lets you sleep at night and I think this is a skill just not like not unlike others if you're not a runner, the best way to learn to run is to read a book and go out and start running. Um, and I think in this case, if you have a transformation that you think the world can benefit from, just remember that to run a business does require business skills. Um, and I think my advice for those folks is you don't have to hire a coach to get them, but just know that you need them, mm -hmm. right? Read, yes, read a book. Yes, go to YouTube. Uh, my favorite type of coaching for folks in that space is small group coaching because one-on-one -on -one coaching is the ideal situation, but it comes at such an expense that it doesn't fit into a small business model often. And if you get, if you get into a big group, you, it's pretty easy to get lost. If you know exactly what you need and you know what you're looking for and how to find it, then sometimes those, those groups can be successful. But I think the large groups are you know, the, not an ideal fit for someone in that yeah. scenario. Did yes, it did, and 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 again, I think it's so it's so obvious, really, in the, the last uh, in the last episode as well that went out. There's very much a, the guy there, Tim Downs, very much a business focus on coaching. Like he had developed skills, yeah. developed those skills that were where he was able to impact people in conversations, and, and his focus is very much like you, very much the focus on business. So just just in closing, what have you really learned about yourself in throughout all of that, all of all of that business experience? As, and is there anything in there that's perhaps surprised you about yourself? 
yeah, I think the thing I've learned the most, which may sound a, a, um, a bit cliche, is that the businesses are, are indeed about people. Um, in the same way that I learned in my 30s that sales was about people, I used to, you know, get caught up in process and product and pricing. Um, and in the end, the person is the buyer. Um, and you need to connect with them in a way to find out what the real va- what the real need is and help map, you know, what you have against what their need is. Um, and in business, it's the same. Like I have a company that wholesales construction products. Um, and I can't become an expert on construction products um, in a heartbeat, right? That takes months and years to become an expert. But I have a team full of experts on my staff, right? And if, my, if I focus my job to serve them, to make sure that they have everything they need to thrive, that business will do great and I do not need to be an expert on construction products. And I've learned that lesson over and over again because I had professionals in each of the businesses that I bought. I had massage therapists and estheticians. I had professional coaches and nutritionists, right? Um, And in these construction businesses, I have full-time professionals whose only job is to be great at fencing or great at wholesaling. Um, And so I've tried to become an expert in some of those businesses and failed and embarrassed myself. Um, And the lesson that I learned in all of that was that you already have experts. What do they need? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Stop. Stop thinking about yourself. You don't need to convey an image. You don't need to be CEO. What you need is you need your general manager to be the bomb. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. My job is not to be a good CEO. My job is to have my general manager be awesome. Beautiful. So um, finally, and I think there's a lot in this episode. It's one that I'm definitely going to go back to and listen to again because there are there's some real gems in here. Let's yeah. go another hour. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Um, I, I know, Todd, that you don't really need to be doing this work. You, you could you could take a back seat, um, whether you could yep. retire or not, or, 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 but you don't need to be doing this. So what is it that's inspiring you? What, what's the fire that, that's alive? Um, I want to teach. It's the craziest thing. It's, it's probably tapped into my vanity and my ego, but I really like... Um, helping people avoid mistakes that I made because they were so painful for me and I didn't have the personality to take good advice. I wish that I was. I had friends of mine in their 20s who got advice that they should save a little money from each paycheck and they mm-hmm. did that. And they're in a very different financial position than their colleagues because they took that advice. And for me, I was I second-guessed all that stuff. I just thought I knew better. And I, got, I made it too complicated instead of just taking advice from someone who's 30 years older than me and said, oh, that's, maybe that's a good idea. So uh, maybe that's another lesson learned yeah. for me. Yeah. Right? Um, and advice for people is to get, to get help. You know, don't do it on your own. Learn something and do it with a friend. I think that's such a deep trait of being human, like really in part of our makeup, part of our DNA is to help each other. And I noticed that listening yeah. to what you just said, I'm like, oh, gosh, yes, that's what's going on for me, particularly when people in their relationships have some really rocky times throughout my I'm 53 years old yeah. and, you know, several, uh, yeah. several significant relationships that gosh, and, and I love I really love diving into that. That's very much the focus of my work, professional and personal relationships. Um, be, mm. it is because of because of the le- the hard lessons learned from the most excruciating painful times means that oh gosh yeah I thought I'd be teaching at a university I thought that was the way I was going to retire I could you know teach in Paris or 
Buenos Aires or something and travel and learn language and see the world. Um, but the, the universities are not the same systems that, you know they used to be. Um, and so this is my way of teaching. This is something more specific too. Like if I teach in university a class, I think I lose some of my magic, my secret sauce. But if people are really trying to start a business now and they get in mm-hmm. over their head and they need somebody with 30 years more experience than them, then I'm, you know, I'm pretty useful in those situations. And that's extremely satisfying. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not extremely useful in lots of situations. <laughs> but in those, in those I am. And it makes me feel purpose-driven yeah. you know i appreciate appreciate um yeah appreciate you connecting i've loved this conversation like i said i'm sure there's lots in here um lots in yeah. here for people so um yeah thank you todd thank you thank you sir i i really admire the fact that you're uh in the profession to serve your clients that makes me feel happy for the folks that you serve um because they're getting the real deal um and i wish there was a little more of that out there and i maybe i can be part of that yeah. solution yeah you know i'm sure you are thank you todd Thank you for listening to the Coaching Life podcast. I'd love to know what are you taking away from this conversation and how will you use that? Email us at coachinglife at philg.com. I've been having coaching conversations and coaching people for over 30 years and have been coaching professionally, being paid as a coach for over 16 years. If you'd like to explore having me in your corner and as your mentor in building your practice and your prosperous coaching life, my six month coaching life unleashed program may be perfect for you. It has just four openings each year as I only work with two other coaches at a time. Drop me an email if you'd like more details or to set up a call to explore to see if this highly personalized intensive coaching and mentorship program will be a fit for you in creating and developing your prosperous coaching life. And finally, if you're enjoying these conversations, please share them with your friends and your community and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. It makes a huge difference in helping other people like you get an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. I wish you much love, prosperity and joy.